Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I see Casey shrugging his shoulders and shaking his head. I know it's summer and I know it's Sunday morning and you don't want to do math, but I want to put a a math formula on the screen for you uh, and I want you to tell me if this is true or not. Is this a true statement? (laughs) Easy one, right? Uh, (laughs) This statement was true back in uh, 2008. Let me explain why. Because back in 2008, Joe Madden, or, yeah, Joe Madden led the Tampa Bay Rays, a uh, perpetually bad baseball team since their inception a decade before. He, he led them to the World Series. Uh, they eventually lost to the Phillies in five games that year, but that year really marked a, a turning point for the Rays organization. And, and Madden had, had this mantra in 2008 that he would repeat and tell his players, and he would say, nine equals eight. Nine equals eight. For Madden, it meant that the the nine men who played nine innings of baseball would be one of the eight teams in the playoffs. Nine equals eight. It means doing the little things and doing them well, and then positive results would follow. Uh, And in 2016, uh, the same manager actually led the Cubs to the World Series, and uh, they won that World Series, right? And his his team philosophy that year was, do simple better. (laughs) And then the next year, he had a philosophy of, uh, try not to suck. (laughs) Those were his mantras, right? (laughs) Try not to suck. I love that. (laughs) But this philosophy of nine equals eight carried the Rays throughout 2008, and eventually was actually inscribed on the inside of the uh, the ring that they got for winning the AL Central Championship their year. Nine equals eight. And, and I love baseball because uh, it truly is a team sport, right? You need all nine men playing on the field, playing their positions well. You need all nine men in the lineup doing their job, getting on base. Each guy is dependent on the guy ahead of him or, or behind him. Uh, and the game is over, right? Not when the, the clock runs out, but after 27 outs. After 27 people have essentially failed to do their job. Uh, in baseball, the burden doesn't rest on one person. It rests on on everybody. Nine equals eight. (laughs) And I'm not here this morning to expound on the greatness of baseball all morning. I I definitely could do that. (laughs) Um, But I did that to illustrate a point. In baseball, teams succeed when everybody does their job and plays their part. And it's the same thing in the church. Uh, the church, church, both the church at large and the local congregation, we succeed and do well when everybody does their part and, and, and plays their part well. 
And that's the point that Paul is going to make in our sermon text for this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16. It'll be on the screen above as well, but it's in your, in your Bibles there. I forgot to look at the page. But uh, would you stand with me out of reverence for God's word as I read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Again, reading in Jesus' name. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which with, with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, again, I do thank you for this morning and for this uh, chance to gather and to fellowship with one another and to spend time in your word, Lord. And we pray that you would encourage us this morning, strengthen us through your word, strengthen us through the, the fellowship and the camaraderie we have one with another, and, and equip us uh, for uh, the service that you have for us, for a week uh, of service in, in our vocations and our callings and our spheres of influence, Lord. But again, we ask that you would be with us this morning. Lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There is really so much richness in this text. There, there's a depth that we could really spend uh, months mining the riches of. Uh, but I'm just going to summarize this text in four words, and, uh, and all of them start with the letter G. And the first word is found in verse 11, gave. Look at that again. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. He gave. And we're, we're jumping right into the middle of Paul's thought here. Uh, if you jump back to verse 7 and look back there, you'll find out who is doing the giving, who's doing the work of giving, and it's Jesus. Paul says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jesus Christ is the giver of gifts that Paul is referring to. And what specifically did he give? What did Jesus give? Verse 7 talks about the grace that Jesus gives. And then verse 11 talks about the other gifts that, that have been given to the church. Our Lord gave to the church various offices, callings within it. He gave, and he says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And Paul lists these, these four offices, these four callings for a very specific purpose. And we're going to get to that purpose uh, in a little bit. That's uh, the second G. But look at these four categories. Apostles, right? This office comprises those who were the, the charter witnesses of Jesus' ministry, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension. 
This office of, of apostle is limited to Jesus' 12 disciples along with Paul who, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And today Christians rightly understand that the office of apostle is closed. Nobody else can rightly claim to be an apostle. Uh, if they do, they're most likely a heretic and ought to be avoided at all costs. <laughs> uh, next in that list is prophets. And this is probably one of the more confusing offices in this list, mostly because there's been so much abuse of those who claim this office. And now when we use the word prophet, we, we use it in a twofold sense, right? Uh, the first aspect of being a prophet is the one we think of often, the, the foretelling, right? A prophet foretells what's going to happen in the future, right? In the Old Testament, the prophets, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, foretold things like uh, what the Messiah would be like, where he would be born, how he would die, or other geopolitical events, woes and judgments on foreign nations, how long the captivity in Babylon would be, what the nation who conquered Babylon would be like. Right? All of those aspects of foretelling we see in the Old Testament and a little bit in the New as well. But there's also the aspect of forth-telling, where a prophet tells forth what God, through his word, has already declared. Uh, John the Baptist fulfilled this job requirement of a prophet, right, when he called Herod, uh, Herod to task for marrying his brother's wife. Uh, Nathan did this when he called David out for his sin. Uh, Elijah had his confrontations with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Uh, Isaiah had to call out Hezekiah to the carpet too. God's prophets telling God's people what God had already said in his word. And Christian, we need to be careful of prophets today who claim to foretell the future. We don't know if, in fact, the Lord has actually uh, spoken to them, given them a revelation of the future. Uh, that's not out of the realm of possibilities. That is something the Lord could do. But we also don't know that if a prophet is just making things up or if they want the attention or the fame or they need a book to sell or they've got a better grasp on the geopolitical affairs uh, than, than the rest of us. Uh, too many times in Christian history, especially in the last 150 years, a, a pastor or teacher takes up the, the mantle of a prophet and makes a prediction only to have that prediction not come true. Uh, one example that comes to mind is of uh, uh, this man. His name is Harold Camping. Uh, in the late 2000s, uh, Pastor Camping, a 90-year-old radio preacher, predicted that Jesus would come back and that he would return on May 21st, 2011. All right, uh, Christ's return and Judgment Day Camping said would come with a great big huge earthquake. And he, proph he prophesied this, and he had hundreds of followers. And these hundreds of followers actually sold all that they had and moved out to California in RVs to wait together for May 21st, 2011. And that day came and went. <laughs> and obviously, no earthquake. Jesus did not return. And so Pastor Camping then said he, he miscalculated. And the day was actually going to be October 21st, 2011. But again, that day came and went, no earthquake, Jesus did not return. <laughs> uh, to his credit, Pastor Camping did uh, kind of recant and humbly acknowledge that he was wrong. He said, uh, we humbly acknowledge that we were wrong about the timing. We also openly acknowledge that we have no new evidence pointing to another date for the end of the world. <laughs> Although many dates are circulating, we have no interest anymore in even considering another date. <laughs> 
Christian, please be discerning. Be wary of men and women who claim to be prophets. If they make a prophecy that comes true as they foretold, it could be that the Lord is speaking to them. But if their prophecies fail to come to fruition, even, even once, have nothing to do with them because they are not speaking the word of the Lord. Be discerning. The next one in, in the list that Paul gives is a little bit easier for us to, to comprehend. Uh, apostles, prophets, and then he says evangelists. Not tele-evangelists, <laughs> just normal evangelists. Those who are within the church who take the message of the gospel into places that it hasn't been before. Uh, t- today we, we call these people missionaries, right? Uh, like the Olson family serving as Bible translators in Africa. We, we prayed for them earlier this morning. They are evangelists, missionaries who, who are sent to take the message of the gospel to a people who have never heard it before. And then the, the final office in, in Ephesians 4.11 that, that Christ gave the church is the office of, of the shepherd, of the teacher, and this one is, is probably the most familiar uh, to us, and it should be, right? And I think uh, many of you could name two, three, four, five people more who, who hold this office, right? Pastor Lloyd, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Dale, myself. We fit into this category as shepherds and teachers. And these offices, these, these callings, Paul says, were given to the church by Jesus Christ for a very specific purpose, and uh, that purpose is, is the second point in, in the sermon this morning, the second letter G that we'll look at, and it's gain. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. He says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The specific purpose, the reason that Jesus gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers was for gain, for the building up of the body, for the maturation of the saints. And who are the saints? Again, the saints aren't this category of super holy, ultra-righteous miracle workers. But all believers are saints, holy and sanctified because of Jesus Christ. If you are in this building today, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. It's kind of cool to think about, isn't it? And Paul says that these offices were given to equip the saints. Uh, and the, the word equip is kind of a fun word. Uh, it means to prepare somebody for a task or to provide them with the necessary tools for the job. Uh, we might translate this word as outfit. All right, have you ever been to the Boundary Waters? Uh, I'm planning on going in October with a group of buddies, and we're working with an outfitter near, near Ely. And this outfitter will equip us with all of the necessary tools for our trek. Uh, canoes, uh, life jackets, paddles are, are the big ticket items that we don't necessarily have, and we'll borrow them from the outfitter. But the outfitter will also equip you with, with every possible item you would need for your trek in the Boundary Waters. Uh, packs and dry bags, cooking gear and food, forks and, and sporks, tents, sleeping bags, mats, and even <laughs> they'll give you toilet paper and matches if you don't have those sorts of things, right? They will provide you even 
even with a guide for your trip. They will outfit you. They will equip you to safely head into the boundary waters and explore God's creation, even if you are as green as green can be. And Paul says that these four offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers were given to equip, to outfit the saints, to equip you. That's what we're here for as as pastors, to equip you. So how do we as shepherds and teachers seek to equip you? First and foremost, we do, do it through what we're doing here this morning, right? Uh, preaching and teaching the word of God. And I hope that these times on Sunday morning equip you to head out into the wilderness of your daily life and encourage you and, and strengthen you. We also aim to equip you through Bible studies and Sunday school classes, right? Contrary to popular belief, we don't just do those things because we like to hear ourselves talk and because that's what's always been done, right? But we do them to equip you, to to provide tools for you. Uh, In the same vein, small groups, life groups, men's fellowship, men's fraternity, uh, 33, right? They're, They're all conducted with the aim of equipping you no matter your life stage or your age, right? Equipping is also done during discipleship and visitation, right? One-on-one over a cup of coffee and cookies or a meal at Village Inn, doing life together. Uh, We also seek to to point you to resources, provide you with those things like books and websites that will help you as you grow in your faith and you reach out into the communities that God has placed you, right, into your circle of influence, your family and friends. Even though the milestone events here at Maranatha that we're going to be starting up in the fall again, those are, for parents and children, those are, those are an opportunity to outfit you, to equip you as parents with some of these resources. And all of this equipping is done with the goal in mind that you would be able to carry out, as Paul says, the work of ministry for the building up of the body. That is the church. We aim to equip you to go out into your jobs, into your communities, into your neighborhoods, into your spheres of influence and share the gospel with others so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. And in the AFLC, the the association of churches that we are a part of, there's always been a strong emphasis on the involvement and the leadership of the church coming from you, coming from those within the church. In Scripture, this is called the priesthood of all believers. Each believer, each Christian, using their spiritual gifts, their talents, their abilities for the work of ministry, for the building up of the church. We're familiar with spiritual gifts, aren't we? Right? They're, they're listed out a couple of different places in the Bible. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, they come to mind. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation. But then things like contributing, leading, doing acts of mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. And there are a couple of other lists as well. But, but any time we, we talk about a spiritual gift, it, it's important to remember that each one of us, each one of you, have been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Paul had to remind the church in Corinth that was going through a very tough time of that, church, of that truth. He said, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each believer has a spiritual gift given to them by God. And sometimes we, we, we look at our own gifts, what we've been given, and we can, 
we can grow discontent because we, we start comparing our gifts with others, right? Uh, we start wishing we had the gift that he had or, or, or we think our gift isn't as special as hers and we wrongly elevate certain gifts over others. But Christ, the giver of gifts, has given to each of us who believe in him the gift that we are supposed to get. Like a baseball team outfitted with players with different skill sets and abilities, with different roles, the church needs people to do different tasks, and they've been given gift, different gifts to carry out those tasks, right? Nine equals eight, remember that? Aside from, from the spiritual gifts listed in Scripture, the Lord has given you, simply by the virtue of you being you, he's given you different talents and abilities as well. Talents are, are the things that, that you can do that, that not everybody else can, like maybe playing the guitar or the piano or singing, things like that. Talents can be learned and cultivated as well, right? You don't just wake up one day and play the guitar and lead worship for church. No, <laughs> you, you learn that. It's cultivated. Abilities, though, are, are the things that we are simply able to do, things that really don't take a whole lot of special giftings or talents. It just mostly requires your ability to be there and help. And each one of us has these different, unique gifts, talents, and abilities that we've been given by the Lord. And he asks that we would use them. He asks that you would use them for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. In, uh, in his 1961 inaugural address, President Kennedy uh, famously said, ask not what your country can do for you, right? How does the rest of that go? Ask what you can do for your country. <laughs> and if it's not too much of a stretch, I think we could modify that for our situation for the church. Don't just ask what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the church. How can I use the gifts, the talents, the abilities that I've been given by God to love and to serve my Lord and my neighbor? How can I use what I've been given to build up the church? Gave, gain, and then the third G is goal. What is the, the goal of all of this gaining? Look again at verses 13 and 14. He says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a, there's a two-fold goal that Paul mentions. And first, the goal is that the church would be united around Christ Jesus and that she would grow in her knowledge of Christ Jesus. Unity and faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Unity. There's a, there's a great joy in meeting a fellow Christian in an unexpected place, isn't there, right? Maybe it's at your place of employment or your neighbor down the street or the cashier at the grocery store or your classmate, right? There's already a, a bond forged, a connection made with them, a sense of family with this stranger, all because you and both are, are united as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. There's that certain joy of having that unity of faith. 
And whenever we read verses like verse 13 here and talk of unity and oneness in the Lord, the question always comes up. So why do we have denominations? Don't they prove that the church is divided and we're not as united as we're supposed to be? In fact, a common objection to Christianity is that we can't even agree on doctrine. So why should I go to a church, right? If, if, why should I join a religion where the church is so divided? And when Paul speaks of, of the unity of faith here in verse 13 and 14, I, I don't believe that Paul is saying that we should never have disagreements or never take a stand for anything. We are to be united in faith around a common confession of that faith like the Apostles' Creed, like we said earlier this morning, right? Uh, a basic core set of doctrines that all Christians across time and space can agree on. Paul mentioned something similar earlier in the beginning of Ephesians 4. He says, uh, in verses 4, 5, and 6, he says, One body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Things are the basic core truth that, that Christians are united around. And in one sense, in one sense, denominations are, are kind of a good thing. Yes, they do emphasize our, our fallen sinfulness, right? But on the other hand, denominations allow us to stop having the same fights, the same arguments, the same conflicts and disagreements over and over again. We don't have to argue each year about what the best way to structure the church leadership is. Uh, we, every time we get together, we don't have to have a fight about who should be baptized, who should partake in the Lord's Supper. Denominations allow us to agree to disagree and then to gather with like-minded Christians spreading the gospel. <laughs> And now I, I agree, in a, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need denominations because everybody would be free Lutheran, right? But on this side of eternity, we, we're split and divided like that. And I think it's an okay thing because it allows us, to, again, to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ without having those conflicts each time. Uh, the second goal that Paul mentions in these verses is maturity and stability. I want to read these again and listen to that, to maturity and stability. He says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Maturity and stability. Growing up in the, in the Midwest, I had much time on a boat in the ocean. And actually, come to think of it, I don't know if I've ever been on a boat in the ocean. I've been to the ocean a lot, but never been <laughs> sailing or anything like that. But like any good Minnesotan, I've, I've, had, I've spent my fair share of time in canoes, right? In the middle of lake, the lake in the middle of a storm. <laughs> and there have been times where the waves have been higher than my head sitting in the canoe, right? And you're doing all that you can to keep that little boat pointed into the waves uh, just to keep you from, from capsizing. And like any good Minnesotan, I've done that a time or two, capsizing in the middle of the lake. It's a true Minnesota tradition, isn't it? But now picture yourself in that canoe, in the middle of that lake, in that storm, but with no paddle. <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind. 
Paul's making the same point for our spiritual lives. The goal of, of our spiritual lives is maturity and stability so that we're not running after every new thought that might come across our path. When we hear a, a radio preacher telling us that Jesus is going to come back on October 21st, 2021, we're mature, enough, we're mature enough to remember that Jesus said, the day and the hour no man knows, not even the Son. And when we see claims on Facebook that Jesus and Muhammad were both prophets and worshipped the same God, we're stable enough to, to recognize the basic differences between Christianity and Islam that refute that claim. Mature and stable. Being mature and being stable means that we are connected to Christ. This means that we are in a living relationship with him. This means that we are living our lives daily repentance and in faith. We're spending time in his word and with his people. And it's important to recognize that we don't become mature and stable in the Lord in and of our own strength and power. Uh, this is worked in us by the Lord, by his grace. He graciously carries out day by day uh, the goals of unity and knowledge and maturity and stability within us, conforming us daily into the image of Christ. Gave, gain, goal, the fourth and final G word that summarizes this passage is grow. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Paul writes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is, is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Grow. Grow. Instead of being a, a canoeist without a paddle tossed here and there by every gust of wind, shoved by every wave, we are to grow. And Paul gives two areas, specific areas that we need growth in. First, we need to grow individually in Christ. That's the emphasis in verse 15. We are to grow up every way into him who is the head of the body, into Christ. Growth is a good thing, isn't it? Um, I love my kids. They're not here. Right? Oh, William is here, I guess, isn't he? I see his head popping up over there, right? <laughs> uh, and I'm fully enjoying right, the stage of life that we are in right now with, with our kids. Every day is an adventure. Every day is full of energy and life. And, and Liz and I were reflecting earlier this week uh, that it's been three years ago that we've moved to Maranatha three years. And, and at that time, William was about as old as Declan is now, about 16 months old. Now, William is four, right? If William hadn't grown at all in those three years, there would be something seriously wrong with him, wouldn't there? We'd be seeing a specialist at Mayo trying to uncover why my four-year-old is the same size and level of development as my 16-month-old. Something would be wrong. It's the same with you spiritually as well. If you haven't grown in your relationship with Christ, then there's something seriously wrong. If you're at the same place you were spiritually one year ago, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, there needs to be something done. There needs to be some change. There needs to be some growth. How does that growth happen? How are we to grow into Christ? 
First and foremost, it happens as the Lord regenerates our hearts. This is what happens when we become part of his family, either at our baptism as an infant or later on in life. This is our justification when God declares us not guilty because of Jesus and his death for us in the cross on our place and on our behalf. And from that moment of justification, the Lord must continue to work on our hearts. And he needs to do this because of the old sinful nature that clings to us even after we've been reborn. This process of sanctification, of being conformed and transformed into the image of Christ is a a process that the Lord has to work on us daily, hourly, moment by moment until we are called home. We are called to grow. Not only are we called to grow individually into Christ Jesus, but there's also the corporate growth of the body, the church. In Christ, Paul writes, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Growth happens, Paul says, when each part is working properly, when each part of of the body of Christ, the church, is healthy and doing its thing good things happen, right? We grow as a team. Remember, nine equals eight? (laughs) The same thing applies within the church as well. When we, as individual Christians, play our parts, field our positions, use our unique gifts, talents, and abilities for the kingdom, the body will grow. And when Paul's talking about growth here, it's important to remember, too, that he's not necessarily talking about just numerical growth. This isn't a church growth strategy or a five-step program to to double the attendance at Maranatha within two weeks, right? Paul has in mind the spiritual growth of the body, growing together in Christ, maturing in the faith. And yes, numerical growth can and, and does occur when those other things are done well, but they're secondary to the spiritual growth, to the health of the body and each individual member of it. John Stott, who was an Anglican pastor and author, um, as he studied this passage in Ephesians, uh, he wrote that Christian unity is enriched through that diversity of our gifts. And I love that. I love that juxtaposition. Unity is strengthened by diversity. And it's true, isn't it? Nine really does equal eight. And I'm so thankful for those of you who are, who are stepping up and using your gifts and your talents and your abilities here at Maranatha. Those of you who are going to be teaching Sunday school uh, when we kick off in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Those of you who lead us in worship by playing or singing, thank you. Those of you who are leading small groups, thank you. Those of you who have, who have spent countless hours behind the scenes <laughs> decorating for VBS, thank you. Those of you who serve in the kitchen preparing meals and snacks, thank you. The church would not be what it is without you. The church is built up. The church is enriched by you using your diverse gifts. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I again thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for how you equip us as individuals to go out into our communities to minister to our friends and our neighbors, Lord, and and give us that boldness to, to share you with others and maybe even just invite them to church for a Sunday morning. But Lord... We, we, we ask that you would just encourage us, strengthen us for those tasks, Lord, that you have called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.